That really is our theme for the day, is how can it be, and marveling at the, the love of God for us, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's more easy, I think, in our world to feel belittled than it does to feel beloved, and uh, the world has so many opportunities uh, to cut us and to uh, destroy us and want to ruin our lives. And uh, we can be cruel to each other. And uh, coming to a place like this week after week and being part of a fellowship like this is such a great reminder, a tangible reminder of how deeply loved we are from the Lord. There is a story posted on the wall of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland. It's a story told from 1492, and it uh, describes two families in Ireland, the Fitzgeralds and the Butlers, that were having a conflict. I'm sure the Butlers were in the right. (laughs) Don't know why I would think that, but it's just my assumption. But uh, uh, as the dispute escalated, Uh, They uh, had a hard time resolving their differences, and the butlers actually found themselves uh, seeking refuge in St. Patrick's Cathedral behind closed, locked doors, and the Fitzgeralds show up on the scene, and the butlers wouldn't open the door for them because they didn't know what was going to happen. And you know what the Fitzgeralds did? They didn't beat the door down. You know what they did? They cut a hole in the door, and the leader of that family stuck his hand through the door to offer peace and reconciliation to the butlers. These two parties that had once had deep animosity toward each other because of the activity of one of the family leaders. Unfortunately, it wasn't the butler leader. But one of the leaders moved through the obstacles that kept them apart. And that is really just what God has done for us. He has moved through the obstacles, the barriers that want to keep distance between us and God. And why we focus week after week and day after day in this church on the importance of Jesus Christ is because it is through Christ that God has reached His hand through the barrier of sin right into our world, right into your life, and He's offered mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation to you. You know, there is an inverse relationship, I think, it seems to me, between God's mercy on the one hand and our sense of deservedness on the other. Here's what I mean, is that the more deserving we feel that we are before God, the less of an embrace and the less likely it is that we will fully grasp the depth of God's mercy for us. But the inverse is also true. The more undeserving we feel to receive the good thing of God, then the sweeter God's mercy is to us. It tastes better. It is more deeply rooted in our life and it makes such a difference. You see, God's mercy is sweetest to those who know how undeserving they really are. God's mercy is sweetest to those who know how undeserving they really are. Today, before we share in the Lord's Supper, we are going to focus on a really important focus of Jesus. And it is about those who acknowledge their undeservedness are able to savor the deepest God's mercy for them. God's mercy for you. Uh, We're going to look 
In Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 18. But I want to start by giving the backdrop of where we will enter into. Because Luke is one of my favorite books. I love it because it is it tells maybe more clearly than any other book this great reversal of God. And, and the people that are least deserving from a social societal perspective are the very ones who understand and embrace the depth of God's love the greatest. Um, and it's such a great thing. Jesus, as we approach chapter 18, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, just put your finger there and maybe just close your Bibles. Once you've got it, put a place marker there and lend me your ears for a minute. Uh, because in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is telling a parable and uh, it's one of the most well-known parables in the Bible. And he talks about a man who is going from one town to another and he falls among robbers and they beat him up. Uh, seem him close to death, and they leave him there naked, bruised, and bleeding. They take all of his possessions, and then three different people walk by. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. Two of them are really religious people. And do they help the man? No. They, they, they walk aside, around him, they get to the other side of the path, because uh, all the reasons that you might think of are probably true for why they didn't help the man. But then the surprise of the story comes because Jesus is talking to Jewish people. And, and for the Jewish person of the mind, looking at the world through Jewish lenses, mostly, most Jewish people of the time would look at a Samaritan person as eh, not real great. They weren't really seen favorably. They're kind of on the outskirts of what was good and acceptable and uh, certainly not very acceptable to God. And religiously, they were on the outside. And there's just a lot of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And so when Jesus talks about two good Jewish people, religious people who pass by do nothing for the man in need but the third person, the Samaritan person does. That's the shock of the story. And here's how Jesus ends that story. He ends it with a question because he's a great teacher. Here's what he asks. Who is it out of those three who, which one was a neighbor to the man who was in need? And of course the obvious answer is this. The Bible says the one who had mercy on him. The one who broke through the barriers, there were a lot of social barriers, a lot of reasons that Samaritan person shouldn't have helped this person in need, but he did, and that was the surprise. The emphasis on that passage is on the mercy extended from one life to another. It was a shock. A little later in Luke chapter 15, it's really important. These are three of the other very well-known parts of the Bible. But it's really important to understand where they are. There were some Pharisees. Those are people uh, who they really took it upon themselves for the Jewish community of the day to be the sheriffs of what was good morally, what was good religious practice. And, and if you didn't, if you didn't do things just so, then they would let you know about it. And they they were just kind of you know the really uh, hard. They cut the edge really hard on things. And they they kind of they're getting a little upset, a little tired of Jesus, frankly. Because Jesus has the audacity to spend time with people they consider not good, people they consider morally not good or religiously unclean, they weren't really acceptable, they were sinners uh, from the Pharisees, and Pharisees are getting kind of bent out of shape about Jesus, and why was he doing this? This is not good. And Jesus tells them three stories, one right after another. And here are the stories, you know them probably. One is about a shepherd 
who has a hundred sheep, and they're all very dear and precious to him. They're valuable to him. And, and he begins to count one day, 97, 98, 99, and he knows he has a hundred. One of them's missing, and he leaves the 99 there, and he goes off in search of the one that is missing. And here's what Jesus says at the end of that uh, parable. He says, uh, when the, the, the shepherd found that really valuable sheep that had been lost, and he brings it back, and he gathers his community around him, you know what they do? They scolded the sheep for being a bad sheep. <laughs> no, what they do? They party. He said, "Rejoice with me, because the sheep that's valuable to me and has been lost has now been found." Then Jesus tells, "Oh, he says, and this is important, is that he says so it is uh, when one lost person repents and comes to comes to faith, there is more rejoicing in heaven." Uh, about that reality. And then Jesus tells a second story. There's there's a woman who has uh, a really valuable coin. It's very special and precious to her. And that coin gets lost. She turns the house upside down. She's moving furniture and looking behind drapes and looking under appliances. And, and when she finds it, I mean, she's distraught. She's desperate because this coin is so valuable to her. And now it's been lost. And it's worth searching for. And when it's found, you know what she does? She calls her community together. They rejoice because the coin that was valuable and precious to her that was once lost, it's now been found. Right? Jesus says, so it is with one person who's lost and comes to repent. So the angels in heaven rejoice. And then he tells a third story. You know it is the prodigal son. I won't rehash the whole thing. A man, wealthy man of some means, has two sons, the youngest, the bratty one. You know, he says, Dad, I'd, I'd rather you just be dead. This is Bryce's paraphrase. That's probably what the butlers and I really got in trouble for, paraphrasing the Bible. <laughs> but he says, Dad, you might as well be dead to me. I just want what's due to me after you die. Give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to go live my life apart from you. And he does. He squanders everything. The older brother, faithful older brother, he's there the whole time. And, and when the, the younger brother, he's, he's destitute and he's desperate. There's nothing left to do. All his friends now, his fair weather friends, they're gone. And so he comes to his senses, the Bible says. And he says, well, I've blown it with my family. My dad certainly won't have me back, but I know the farm. I know how to work there. Maybe he'll hire me back, even if he won't receive me back as a son. You know the story that he, he kind of gets himself and he, he starts going, has nothing to offer. And what is the dad doing? You remember? The dad's standing out on the pathway. What's he doing? He's looking out on the horizon, just waiting day after day to see a silhouette on the horizon, wanting and longing for this son, this bratty son, this ungrateful son, just wants him to come home. And when he does, remember the older brother gets all bent out of shape, right? Says, Dad, I've been here the whole time. You've not thrown a party for me. And what's the dad say? He says, I know. But you've always been here with me. I love you. Don't you know that? But this son who's been lost and wandering, we thought dead, he's now alive. He has been lost. He's now been redeemed. He's repented. He's come back. We need to do what? Throw a party. So they give them all these symbols of sonship. New shoes, a new robe, a new ring on his finger. He's not just welcomed back as a hired hand. He's a son. He's been adopted back and received back in wholeness. There's a search and rescue in all of these stories. 
Uh, in the, the prodigal son, of course, there's repentance and turning. But in all of the stories, there's rejoicing that happens for those. The thing that was valuable and lost, separated from the one who saw value in it. It's lost. When it's rejoined to the one who knows there's value in it, there's rejoicing that follows. That is why it's so important for us as a church when the waters of baptism get stirred, that we rejoice together because we're joining the party of heaven. Can I get another amen? Amen. Can I get another amen? amen? This is worth rejoicing in because your life is so valuable to God that He has sent a search and rescue party for you. And it's not you finding God, it's God coming and claiming you and drawing you back into His love And letting you walk with Him. It is mercy. You see, God's mercy is sweetest to the undeserving. God's mercy is sweetest to the one who knows how undeserving they are. Let's read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 18. This is the prayer. The prayer of the undeserving. It's a prayer for mercy. Chapter 18, Luke, verse 9, the Bible says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what that might mean, let me just repeat real quickly. The Pharisees, again, were the self-appointed adjudicators of what was good religiously and morally and they were kind of they were the sheriffs wanting to please people and the tax collector is somebody who's really seen uh, from a Jewish viewpoint as undeserving they're unclean they're not very acceptable they're pretty not just uncouth it's about they're they're traitors to their own people ethnically they're they're greedy they're swindlers it's that they have that reputation so Jesus already setting up this, this contrast between the Pharisee, maybe the deserving ones, the ones who thought in their own life, their own resume, they would offer to God and say, look how deserving I am to be accepted by you. And the tax collector, the tax collector didn't even have a resume, poor guy. He couldn't offer anything to God. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. So both of them come to the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood up. And he prayed about himself. He said, God, I, probably something like this. Let me change my tone. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What's he doing? He's offering God his resume. Look at all the reasons that I'm acceptable to you. Look at all the ways that I'm deserving of your love and your mercy and your welcome. Now listen to the contrast. Here's the tax collector, verse 13. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. That's a picture of contrition, of understanding. How undeserving he is. And he stands before God. And he says, God, have mercy on me. 
a sinner. Have mercy on me because I am undeserving. The only request I can make is not to offer you my resume and say, hire me, God. But it's to say, I have nothing to offer you and I want to receive your mercy into my life. And Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God's mercy is sweetest to the ones who know just how undeserving they are. Maybe you've said a prayer, or maybe not said the words, but maybe you have thought these thoughts in your heart. Something like this, God, I thank you that I'm not rude like Steve Howell. I thank you, God, that I'm not addicted to drugs like I thank you that I'm not parenting in the same lousy way as I thank you, God, that I'm faithfully participating in ministry. Unlike uh, give my time, God, I I thank you that I give my time and money. Unlike I, I serve the needs of others. Unlike you ever thought things like that? Sometimes they well up in our heart and we have to nip those things in the bud, because we need to be reminded about how undeserving we are. And I tell you, throughout the scripture, this is for free, it's not part of my sermon, but throughout scripture, there's always a correlation, always a correlation, always a connection between your willingness to extend mercy to other people, your willingness to forgive and release other people for the silly things they do. There's always a connection between your understanding and receiving the mercy of God into your life and your ability to give that to others. Always. And if you struggle with giving forgiveness and extending mercy to others, maybe a first place to look in examining your own heart is, God, have I somehow come to a place where I think I'm deserving of your mercy and forgiveness and your grace? Because it is so good for us to remember how undeserving we are. Because the Bible says, when we humble ourselves, that He will lift us up. God doesn't want, when we humble ourselves, to put His foot on your neck. It's just the opposite. He wants to lift you up, but He can't lift you up if you've already lifted yourself up. You see the picture? God's mercy is sweetest when we understand how undeserving we are. You see, the tax collector, he knew how undeserving he was. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, someone who is undeserving of your attention, of your love, of your mercy, of your forgiveness. But I'm open to it because I know how desperately I need it. He was one, the tax collector was one, who had barricaded himself behind obstacles. And if it weren't for God breaking through those obstacles and extending a hand of mercy, he never would have known the forgiveness and joy and the mercy of God. God's mercy is sweetest to the undeserving. Here's how the Apostle Paul reflects this understanding. In Ephesians chapter 2, we've, we've sung about this a little today. Ephesians chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. And I want you to listen for the state of undeservedness and how God has rescued and redeemed. As for you... Christian man or woman, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What is Paul saying? He's talking to a church in Ephesus. Is he saying you were deserving of God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness? Or is he saying you're undeserving? Undeserving. Just like I am. That's why it's hard for me when we sing songs like we sang today without crying and being overwhelmed with the tender mercy of God. Because I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And it should overwhelm us at times with emotion of gratitude. Um, I love that phrase. What is that? I don't know why I benefit from your, your death on the cross. So that's the undeservedness. But listen, it doesn't end there. That's why this is good news. It's good news. In verse 4 he says, But, but, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Listen, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. You have no resume to offer to God. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I better finish. Today, as we center ourselves on the Lord's Supper, there is a part of our Lord's Supper. Let me invite the deacons. Just come join up here in the front pews. This is a good day for self-examination. We often focus on the joy of the Lord's Supper, and rightfully so. Because in the early church, when the Lord's Supper was shared and partaken in, it was great rejoicing, not just for what Jesus had done, but also in thinking about His return. We emphasize those things a lot. But today I'd like us to think about the the self-examination passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because there's no maybe greater moment for us To think about the mercy of God and our undeserved um, ability to receive it. And yet, even so, he gives it to me and to you. And so we're invited to to think about the mercy of God today. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says about the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. So as we examine ourselves this morning before participating in this meal... It's an opportunity, not to although it's self-pity, but to be honest about who you are before the Lord. And remember that God doesn't invite us to self-examination to be belittled, but to be reminded that we are beloved. And it is His mercy that comes to undeserving people just like me. 
So it's an opportunity, just like David in the psalm said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wayward part in me. So how might you examine yourself today? Just as we uh, prepare our hearts today, it's just to ask the Holy Spirit, are there any areas of unconfessed sin in my life that I need to offer back to you and, and seek your cleansing today? This is a great opportunity to be reminded that you are beloved. God is merciful. We will gather around, as we always do, two elements. One is bread and one is a cup. Both elements remind us of the death of Jesus. Broken bread, because his body was broken. That was the way God penetrated through the obstacle of sin to extend a hand of fellowship with you. A cup reminds us of the blood. His life that was shed is poured out so that he can claim you out of your death and to give you his life. As we share these elements today, that is the reminder. We're going to sing a little as we go through today, so let's sing now. Mm-hmm.